friends. It's the Exit 52 podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood. The sweets, I can't even do the azaleas. I'm trying to talk about azaleas. It's Masters week. It's me, Banks, Josh Rogers back on the show. Josh, I don't think we've had, had anybody on the show in this quick succession. So that says a lot about you and your ability to talk about pretty much everything. But we're getting to golf. It's a special edition of the Exit 52 podcast. Masters week, an interview coming up with the number five golfer in the world, U.S. Open champion last year, eight-time PGA Tour champion Bryson DeChambeau. But to sort of bookend Mr. DeChambeau, we're going to preview the Masters. It felt like we just had one, and that's because we just did in November, which is bizarre. Normally, you don't get it in this quick succession. We had one in November. Dustin Johnson, a record-setting performance. Thanks. I mean, it's Masters week. There's not really much else to say. I think the interesting part, normally you come into the Masters as a fan, you say, all right, I know the layout here. I know one through 18. I know everything we're getting into. I think it's interesting to come off how the course played in November compared to how it's going to play now in terms of sort of setting the stage for this tournament. Yeah, there's a good chance that if you've clicked on this podcast, you're very interested in the Masters. You know Augusta National, like you said, you know holes one through 18. You know the holes that you can attack. You might be thinking in your head, here's the, the holes where you can hit draws, hit fades, all that good stuff. Uh, the difference here from the, the course that we saw in the fall is that clearly the course that we had took on a lot of rain throughout the tournament. It was very soft. And honestly, we don't we didn't really know what we were going to get from a fall Masters. And what we did get was a record performance from Dustin Johnson. And guys were just attacking the course at will. So... I would think that going into this this tournament here and from all the comments that you're hearing out on the range, people coming in, people doing their practice rounds in the weeks leading up to this, it's going to be firm. It's going to be fast. That's how it usually is at Augusta. I think we're going to be right back where we want it to be, you know, first, you know, big time spring tournament where the, you know, the azaleas are popping and, and the course is going to be playing tough. And I think that they're going to try to ramp that thing up as, as, you know, as quick and as badass as they can get it. So I'm excited. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you saw the <clears throat> last year, like you said, they tore it up and Dustin was just, he was so good out there. Uh, <clears throat> I feel like the superintendent and all the people are like, there's no way we're going to let somebody come out here and tear it up like that. The pictures they've been posting the past couple of days look so sick. I mean, like you can just tell it just looked way different with those values and all that in, in and it just turned green. And I'm, I'm super pumped to see how the, how the course plays for sure. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that this course has is that very few, well, I'll say that most courses on tour, they have this subvac system underneath the greens that can suck the moisture and really firm up the green so they can kind of control what the green is going to be like. Augusta National is a different beast. They have subvac under the fairways. They can they can suck water. They can put in water. They can do anything they want to that golf course when they want to. And I think that they're going to be out for revenge a little bit here. I'm, I'm curious to see as to what this winning score is going to be. I think the, the quality of golf, as we, you know, this is just kind of progressive with any sport as time goes on. But right now, the amount of guys who can go out and attack pins and are just, just flat out phenomenal at the game. You know, this is a course that you would think, um, you know, 15 under might be the winning score with how quality these guys are. And it's, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see how challenging they can make this course potentially and how well the players might respond to that. Yeah, no doubt. And two, I think also like people take for granted the undulation at the golf course. Like there's never a flat lie on the course. So you look at, you know, <clears throat> just even in the starting holes, I've heard like people say like, 
oh my gosh, like they're always balls above your feet, balls below your feet. And like, you have to take that into account. And I know like if you're an average golfer, like uh, it's, it's probably way more difficult for you to, to, you know, have those kind of lies. So the level of play, like you said, is just getting out of control with these guys and how they can throw darts into these pins. And, you know, Bryson's hitting, you know, seven iron from, you know, 216, 218. Sure. It's just incredible what these guys can do they, to even have short irons in their hands. So uh, I'm excited to see how it firms up, but, and also just see like, you know, kind of what, what, what's, what's the winning score going to be and who's, who's going to, who's going to take the lead early. Yeah. The, it's, it's good that you said the undulating nature of the entire course, like you said, there's no, there's no level lie on the entire course other than the tee boxes. So you look at this golf course and there's really not any punishing rough anywhere. You can miss left and right and you'll be in some trees and you can try to navigate around those. You've got pine straw, but the cuts of the rough are really not that penalizing. So for this course to defend itself in the way that it has for, you know, 80 plus years in these prestigious tournaments, um, I think it just speaks a lot to just the nature of the hilly terrain that you, that these players have to deal with. And, um, and I also think that that's, you know, a lot is made of experience at this course. No doubt. You know, it's, it's very rare to have a player like Jordan Spieth come in at a young age and really kind of know the lay of the land and know where to put shots and where not to put shots is just as important. Um, but other than that, you know, experiences goes a long way at this place. And I don't know that, these players see these types of side lies and downhill lies at some of these other courses in the way that they, they do here. So that in itself is an adjustment period for anyone, I think. Right. Yeah. It's like when Tiger plays here, you know, he's always going to have a chance no matter how old or how, you know, banged up he, he is. It's like, you know, he knows how to get around the golf course. I think it's cool. It's weird. You said that too. The, the last person to actually win the masters of their first tournament playing it was uh, fuzzy Zeller. Uh, so he's he's actually from my hometown in New Albany, Indiana. So I play at his golf courses all the time. So he owns a couple of <laughs> golf courses. Around, so it's pretty That's cool. They're they're in like little neighborhood developments, and they're they're good little tracks uh, for fun. So, but he was actually the last guy to win <clears throat> on the first on the first try. So it's it's crazy to see that that's been a long time. I think it was like in 1982, maybe 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 later than that. So I have to check. Yeah, the ones you see, it feels like the ones you see come in and win as really young players are the all timers. I mean, you have Tiger, you know, really young, Spieth, really young. Um, in terms of the outside factors that are going to potentially affect this course, um, the weather looks pretty good. Um, in the low 80s throughout the week, looks like some potential for thunderstorms on Friday, Saturday, but it's under 50%. So probably pretty hard to tell considering we're sitting here recording on a Monday what that's going to potentially look like. Um, but you hope it's, you know, in terms of the, if the course is defending itself firm and fast with the sun is going to, is going to help that part of it out. You talked about Jordan Spieth. I think coming into April, the thought would have been coming into this tournament would have been, all right, can Dustin repeat and what is Bryson going to do to this course? Those have been your top two storylines, unless Tiger was here. Now it's Jordan Spieth. And after winning tech, the Texas open yesterday, you know, how he's played the last month and a half, two months, his history at the place, the amount of a fan favorite that he is and, and you know, the conversations with Greller at this point are getting legendary during these tour broadcasts. He's the top line guy and is now among the betting favorites. It's, it's going to be interesting to watch what he does this week. I think he's going to be the clear patron's choice as we refer to the masters patron's choice when he's not in Augusta. I, I think it's not just at Augusta. I can just golf's better when, when Jordan's better. Uh, it's, you know, he kind of, when he was winning all the, in 15, 16, 17, he just went on that tear, man. He was you know, the, just the best. And 
it was kind of that Tiger-ish feel. You know, everybody wants to always throw the Tiger comparison out. But, I mean, for Jordan to win a ton of those tournaments and, you know, I think win three three majors, uh, it was crazy to, to watch him come onto the scene. But <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm super pumped to watch Jordan this week. Yeah, he's always going to be a storyline at this course just with the way he started his career here. Um, you know, T, T2 win, T2 is just an unbelievable start, and he went wire to wire in his win too. Um, and even he's, you know, he's had these, the successes, but obviously the failures have been there as well. Um, you know, the 2016 one lives in infamy. But it's really fascinating to see the way he's kind of put this whole run together to kind of get his game back in order. I and mean, we're talking about a guy who wasn't even invited to the WGC at concession a few, like, you know, just a few short weeks ago, he couldn't even crack the top world five uh, top 50 in the world to, to get a ticket to that event. So um, it, it's interesting where, you know, he, even when his game was completely lost, he was able to make the cut here in the fall. He was coming into that tournament. I think the first half of the, you know, this wraparound super season that they're doing, I think he was something like, you know, minus nine strokes gained uh, T to green going into the masters last year and in, in 2020. And <clears throat> since that period, since he picked his clubs back up and, and went out there, I believe at the farmers, I think he's something like 30 shots T to green gained, which is number one on tour. So crazy. it's crazy the way that he's just kind of found it and he's found his stride and, and he's still hitting the golf off the tee kind of like shit. Like he's yeah. really not hitting a lot of fairways. He's, he's, I believe he's 216 out of 229 or something like that in driving accuracy. It's insane. That's Those always been his kind of downfall though. I feel like it's just, I mean, obviously his putter has been crazy when putter gets hot. He's, you know, he's tough and tough and he's always tough to beat, but I feel like my friends even at home will joke around and be like, man, Jordan's a hack. Like, you know, sometimes he's like hitting it all over the place. But when, when you get wedges like he does and the way he puts it, man, it's crazy the way he rolls it when he starts rolling. It's just, it's unbelievable. He, he's never out of a hole no matter where he is on a given course. And part of what makes this course fit him so well is that if you miss the fairway, like I mentioned before, you're not going to get penalized that bad unless you're finding water. Right. And, you know, that's the one time he's really had trouble at, at Augusta is when he's found water. So, yep. um, he knows how to navigate these, these crispy tight lies and, and the side lies, and he knows the undulations and the greens. So, you know, when you look at it on its face with the fact that at these other courses that maybe some of them aren't fit to his game so much, he's still first on tour on strokes gain approach in this period of time, since he kind of turned it around. I mean, he's playing as well as he's played maybe in his entire career. I mean, that's crazy to, to I mean, that might be an exaggeration because what he did in 2015 was, was next level. I mean, it's one of the all-time great seasons in golf history, but, um, and that he's got his putter mostly to thank for that, but right. the way that he's hitting his approach shots right now is just on another level. And, um, you know, there are some people that are turning their nose up at him winning the Texas open, which not a strong field, but it wasn't the weakest field in, in the world either. And, you know, he went out and, and had an opportunity with, with a Charlie Hoffman who, knows that course extremely well and played extremely well and went out and was making birdies yesterday and Jordan went out and won it. You know, he didn't really hold back and, and, you know, try to hold around together and just try to get a score in the clubhouse. He went out and won it. So I think that all the hype that people are talking about the storyline of him here at Augusta, I think all the pieces fit. And I think you have to really respect his, his chances here. 
Yeah, no doubt. And plus, too, you can even take into consideration he even played this week. Like, he's that confident with where his game is probably even at to, to even play in the tournament, you know, not to sit out the week before the Masters and, you know, hit the range like all the other guys do, come in early. I mean, you know, he was playing in the tournament competing, which I think is sick and, you know, as a test to where he thinks his golf swing's at right right now. Yeah, and I think he, he gives he gives him the ability to have that confidence that he's – it's great that the win doesn't have to be at a major. Like, he's not going to get there on Sunday and think, oh, my God, it's been – it's been half a decade right, essentially, right, right, essentially right. since I've gotten this done. He just got it done last week. And I think that ability to prove to yourself that you can win again, I don't care if it's, you know, if he had gone to Puerto Rico and won, you know, one of the alternate field events, like he has a win back under his belt and that now propels him into this week where, you know, all the momentum is going to be behind. And as you said, Josh, he feels comfortable here. He doesn't feel like you have to come in early. He knows he can win here. You know, he's going to become one of those guys when he's 50, like Phil, where you're like, I mean, why not? If he, heats, yeah. if he heats up for yeah. four days, he can get it done. Exactly right. He's going to always have a chance here just because he knows his way around. He could be Bernard Longer. I mean, he could be making cuts here in his 60s. It's He's got that kind of skill. Um, he's got that kind of feel. Uh, feel. It's He's just he's special. He's just something different. And um, it, it's the confidence that is really the difference maker, I think, because really the round that started was a Thursday at, at the waste management. He could, he was hitting the ball all over the map. I mean, he was, I hit two of 14 fairways. I blogged about this today. He wrote, he hit two of 14 fairways and just had, it was probably a fluky round. He shot a 67, I think, and got a five underscore into the clubhouse and was near the top of the lead after one day. And whatever as fluky or that was, or wasn't, he just had a lot of confidence. And the next day he started hitting fairways and he started scoring more and that putter got going on Saturday and he didn't win the tournament because Brooks Kepka went out and did some Brooks Kepka stuff. But yeah. it, I think that that was a big push for his self-confidence and that definitely carried forward. And he just built on that and built on that. And I think him winning last week was that extra hurdle to say, Yes, that is all validated. I'm, you know, I've got that win under my belt. You know, everybody's I'm saying it. I'm back. I'm back. Yeah, exactly. I'm back. And we're all saying it. I've been saying it like every chance I get the last two, three months when I see him. I mean, I was there for the ace at Bay Hill. That was probably the one of the greatest sporting experiences, like moments I've seen in my entire life is to see a live hole in one by Jordan Spieth on PGA Tour, especially coming out of a pandemic. And like this, this was maybe maybe like an hour after the Bryson tee shot over the water at six, like unbelievable day for me. But anyways, um, yeah, he's, he's back and, and I'm excited to see what he can do. The guy I think that would have been the top storyline coming into this week. And I think the person on tour and you guys can, can challenge us if you want, that makes great golf look the easiest of anybody in the field is Dustin Johnson who said, you know, a record-breaking performance in November, sort of the coronation that's everyone's expected from a guy that is just ridiculously talented. He's the betting favorite. He, you know, I don't think that's wrong. I think that's that's right. I don't, the results haven't been unbelievable coming into to, to the tournament, but when he turns it on, it, it doesn't feel like anyone can touch him if he's rolling, you know, at the top of his game. Yeah, when he got going here recently, I mean, what he went was last year, probably miscut, miscut, withdrew, and then went like, what, win, 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 like something crazy. Like he just found something in his golf swing that got him going. And when he's going, even at 75%, I think he's the best golfer on tour. And I don't even think it's really close when it's all rolling for him. My buddy said when he, if he could putt, he'd have been the next Tiger Woods. Yeah, I mean, a lot is made of the ability to hit the ball right to left on this golf course, and he doesn't do that. He literally 
he did in the first half of his career and that's where he got in a little bit of trouble. And then at some point he just, you know, he resisted, I think from Butch Harmon putting in a fade. And then one day he just put it into play just for the heck of it and shot like a 60. And so from there, he's just been, that's really when he just kicked his career up another level. Um, And he's brought that to this course and he's, he's shown that you don't need to necessarily draw the golf ball at this golf course as a right-handed golfer to, to go out there and attack it and win it. So um, I, it's been really interesting this week as I've been, you know, today I was watching some interviews. Um, there's, there's some young players that are kind of, like we said before, experience is a big thing here where they, they had some preconceived notions that you have to hit balls and shape balls certain ways on this golf course, because the, it's very much a golf course that kind of fits your eye for certain shot shapes and stuff off the tee. And so I, I saw both Colin Morikawa and Patrick Cantley both said something very similar where they said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a natural fader of the golf ball. Um, I came into this event thinking I needed to work a draw into my game a little bit more. And I, you know, I got too caught up in the whole idea of trying to hit the perfect tee shot and hit, you know, what the shot called for instead of playing the game in the way I'm capable of doing, playing my style and taking, you know, their own attack to the course. So it's interesting just that they've kind of come to this conclusion and, um, you know, Cantley's had some results here or is this is only his second masters, but um, it's very fascinating to me to, to hear these players kind of talk about, what they think is needed to go out here and win this tournament. And it's, you know, we've, we've kind of pointed at a few things, uh, mostly just like ability to, to work it around the greens with the undulations, the uneven lies and all that stuff. But there's definitely more than one way to win a masters and Dustin Johnson proved that in a big way in November. Yeah. I think that, I think that he, I, I just think he's the most exciting guy. He's the most exciting guy who shows absolutely nothing from a personality standpoint. I just cannot get over it every single time I watch him. He should. That's why I love Spieth because Spieth, you're just sort of along for the ride with the guy, like hold a hole. Dustin, you don't feel like you're along for the ride with him at all. You feel like you're just sort of watching greatness go hold a hole. And yeah, I think can, that makes him less of a fan favorite, but also, but also, it looks so easy. It's so easy. It's not fair how even Jordan Spieth, who is an incredible player you know, he hooks it off the tee or, or, you know, drives it all over the map and then recovers and you you feel sort of, it feels relatable despite how great he is. Nothing about what Dustin Johnson does feels relatable. I guess, except when he's not rolling it well in the greens, but that's about it. Right. Yeah. We, we, we play golf on our own here and we, we, you know, Taylor and I, we know a couple of guys that are pretty good at the game and it's, it's fascinating to me. And this is where I think it's more kind of a Dustin Johnson parallel is sometimes you'll just play around and you'll be all over the map and you'll be so focused on all the action going on in your round. And then you've got this other guy in the group that's just like, Oh, hitting a fairway and then hitting the green and two putt. And then just, you don't even notice that they haven't really had anything of consequence happen in the entire round. And then you finish the round and it's like, uh, you know, you're counting up your score. And then this guy's like, Oh yeah, I shot 74. Like, all the time. Yeah, it's just that he, Dustin Johnson is that guy in your foursome who's just hitting the fairway, then hitting the green, and you just don't even notice just how well they're playing until it's like, holy shit, they're like, you didn't even break a sweat out there. Right. So, yeah, and, it's, and, it's just, yeah. he's just easy and repeatable, and it's just not fair. The, the answer to the question is just not fair watching him play. Uh, the two guys with the most 
uh, overcoming fake overcoming adversity narrative. I guess one more real than the other uh, is new father John Rom. I hasn't gotten a lot of sleep this week. Look, new baby hasn't gotten a lot of sleep this week. You know, overcome. And then Brooks Kepka, who I don't even know how he's playing this tournament, uh, just had surgery for. I'm gonna just read it. Kneecap dislocation and ligament damage about a month ago, and here he is. He's always a threat at every major. The guy has you know ice in his veins. Uh, in the big moments, it seems like he really only cares about the big moments and doesn't really care about anything else. Uh, I'll let you guys, who do you want to jump for first, Rom or, or Brooks? I feel like Brooks, it's great to have him in it because you don't know what he's going to say, and hopefully he's paired with Bryson at some point. That would be very entertaining. Yeah, I would love to see those two paired together. <clears throat> uh, I mean, I think Brooks, like you said, is a contender every time he shows up at anywhere. It's just what Brooks are you going to get? But uh, hopefully he's just healthy. Uh, you know, after going through surgery like that, I've been through a couple myself. So it's just like bouncing back. I don't, you know, what, what they did. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, just to, you know, have surgery and then try to bounce back and play in such a big event. And, you know, I guess he's ready. And I saw, I think I saw a comment and he said, he's, you know, he, he, he was hearing the haters and hearing all the chirping, you know, he's not going to be ready. He's going to be out like eight weeks. And instead he came back in three. So uh, I'm excited for him. He's always playing with a chip on his shoulder and, uh, I'm a, I'm a big Brooks fan, and I, I think he's I think he's got to be in contention and, and and a favorite to win this thing too. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating because um, I mean three weeks is insane. It's to to have anything cut open in your body and and get back out there and and play a game of golf like and, and walk 18 holes by the way. And and by the way, you're probably going to hear a lot about this too about the fact that this is this is such a hilly course and walking 18 holes on this course is no, it's no picnic. And so um, I think that he's going to have, he's going to be tested for sure. That knee is going to be tested where he's going to have, especially on, I think some of these, these uphill lies that he gets, I think he'll get them on, on eight, he'll get them on 18, um, you know, maybe seven a little bit. It's, it's going to be interesting to see that back right knee to see how much he can really, you know, get after the golf ball and, and put some effort into it. I mean, I saw a couple of clips of him on the range and you can always try to make assumptions on how somebody looks and he, he looks normal. I mean, he, he seems fine. So um, I know he's got his physio working him out all the time and he's doing, doing his old thing and he's, you know, he's a tough guy and that's what everybody, he wants everybody to know it. So um, you know, he's, he's had some decent success here. He, you know, he, he was one of the, the guys in that group that finished a shot behind tiger a couple of years ago. He, he, you know, finished T seven here in, in, in November. Um, it's tough to say what his form is cause he doesn't have form. He did right. win just two months ago at, at Phoenix, but, um, it's, it's kind of a thing where if you don't pick up a club for a few weeks, like how are your feels? And this is a course where your feels are, are extremely important. So, um, you know, it's, it's, he's not somebody that you want to try to bet against. Um, I think that's going to be the narrative going in here. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he holds up over the first round or so and see how that wears on him as the course goes on. I think I heard somebody make a great point that, I mean, it's not just hitting the golf shots on these uneven lies with the Hills and everything. And it's, it's the walking of the course and the fact that as you're walking, it's so hilly and, and on a, maybe a knee that's not as stable as you want it to be. You gotta, you gotta watch your step the entire time. And so that can almost be like a mental strain. Like if you had a tee shot 300 yards and you're, you know, you're thinking about all kinds of things as you're walking on the ball, but you're not thinking about your every right step that you take. 
So it's almost like he's going to be on high alert for every step he takes on this kind of hilly course all day. And I feel like that's got to take a mental toll at some point. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's safe to say too. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he's tied for first going into Saturday or if he misses the cut, honestly. I mean, I think it could go either way for him this week. I wouldn't, I don't, I mean, I doubt he misses the cut, you know, just given how talented he is, but you know, just the sake of how healthy he is, I think it'll come down to for him. And he could just run out of gas too. I mean, he could be there for the first two or three days, get to moving day on Saturday and just having walked around that course, just be a little sore and and, and kind of fall out of it. It's funny. he, He, you know, T7 in November tied with Rom. They were sort of going in different directions that day um, to a certain extent. Uh, I'll run down this leaderboard just for November, just for, for sake, obviously Dustin 20 under one by a mile. Um, Cameron Smith was awesome. Um, back in November, he four rounds in the sixties. Uh, Sun JM looked like he was just continuing to just not go away. Uh, and Dustin just outplayed some of these guys. JT in fourth, Dylan Fratelli and McElroy tied for fifth. Kepka, CT Pan, and John Rahm in seventh. Corey Connors, Patrick Reed, Webb Simpson. So a good leaderboard, and the fact is no one was beating Dustin. Speaking of Rahm, just as the kid, guy's entertaining. You know, it, it, it can go zero to 60 in good ways and bad ways. I think he's a guy that everyone's waiting to make. There's, there's a bunch of guys in this field that people are waiting to win this kind of tournament and, and Rom and Finau, Xander Shoffley all kind of feel like they're like in that range where they're consistent top 10 players in the world. They're contending pretty much every week on the PGA tour. And they just have not gotten a major in terms of Rom just feels like he's got to keep his, keep himself together and just feed off his town. He can get it done in a place like this. The baby storyline is always an interesting one for me. Like the, the player who just got married, the player who just had his first kid, like CBS eats this shit up with a spoon. They fucking love it when somebody has some personal life event where everything falls into place and they're mentally have their golf in perspective and all that stuff. Um, I don't think it has any impact on whether he's going to play well or not. I don't either. I, I just, I think it's crazy when the media gets caught up in all that stuff. What, I don't know what his name was, but he just won off the off his bachelor party. He was at a bachelor party in Vegas with all his buddies, and he won last yeah. week the PGA Tour. Joel Damon. I mean, yeah, I mean, sick. Like, yeah. So, I mean, it is what it is. Come on, man. I mean, because he had a baby. I mean, my buddy Sean Armstrong's pitching right now, and he he had a baby, you know, this week. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, like, life goes on. You're going to be focusing on hitting a given golf shot in a given moment, and that, like, whether or not you have reproduced with with another human on this earth or not, <laughs> like, how is that going to affect whether you're going to hit a little white ball where you want it to go, better or worse? It's I just, right. I mean, I just can't you got wait another for Faldo. You got, another, you got another supporter. You got another supporter with you. So I can't wait good. for Faldo to make the, you know, Jimmy, couldn't have gotten much sleep this week. I mean, he must have been <laughs> up in the middle of the night. If he's, like, contending on Saturday, hopefully he can keep it together. It's been a long week he's, for John Rahm. Uh, it just it, – he's due. He's going to be due at some point. He's going to win one of these. It just kind of depends on when it happens. Um, but, yeah, that will be beaten into the ground if he is involved on Saturday and Sunday. Um, I, coming off of Easter, coming off of a holiday, they, they he, love. He's going to be in a feature group and – we'll be sick of hearing about it by the time he finishes <laughs> number two. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very true. Uh, and then the, the, really the, the man of, of the hour in golf right now is our interviewee Bryson DeChambeau. And we'll talk about Bryson before we get to the interview here in terms of his prospects. He was the storyline going into November. He dominated the headlines, par 68, going to bully the course. 
is the, you know, is, is, is Augusta going to look like a joke? Um, and he did some bullying and the course also did some bullying to him and it resulted in some good scoring and a lot of big scores. I think he had two doubles and a triple. Um, I think in terms of his, you know, under par scoring he ended up totaling the 20 under, um, which obviously would have been tied for the winning score, but <laughs> Bryson is a character, you know, we had the chance to talk to him and we'll get to that. But in terms of what he, he is, you know, besides DJ, he is the favorite in this tournament, despite not winning. And with his length, he could do things at Augusta that no one's done before. It's just a question of whether he can execute it and whether he learned, I think, from maybe a little hubris heading into November. I don't think he thought it was going to be that hard. And the course kind of said, all right, man. Like humble him a little bit. Yeah. 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 Um, He said the par 68 thing and, I don't know that he said that he regrets it or not, but um, he, people are going to be talking about that for the rest of his career every time he, he tees it up here. And um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that he can't go out and back it up, though, because, you know, the length plays anywhere on tour. And, and you know, history has kind of shown that unless it's a complete swamp fest like it was when Zach Johnson won, like length is a big asset here, maybe more so than a lot of other courses. So... Um, we're going to be on high alert to see what kind of lines he takes. I think that the, the wet conditions from, from last, uh, in the fall kind of hurt a little bit of his advantage to a degree. I mean, on one of the holes, he, he, he I remember he's playing with Rom and Rom was sure to point every single time left or right, like in a big way <laughs> that he was hitting it four left or four, right. And then I think on three, he hit a tee shot on maybe Friday morning that just plugged and nobody found it. So he had to re-tee. And so that kind of like buried his momentum for that. That kind of ended his tournament to a certain extent. It did. It, when when he got onto that cart to go back to re-tee on that, it was like, he's, he's, he's done. He's out of the contention here. He's just, you know, he's just going to be in too deep a hole, but. What's crazy is with fans that it never happened, you know, like that's like, sure. what we, that's what average golfers deal with. Like hey, yeah. we find our ball. It's like, we'll take a drop. Not saying we're competing, but you know what I mean? Like it's a big difference. Like when there's a million people out there, it's like, you they'll never lose a ball, especially in the rough like that. Cause it wasn't even, I mean, it wasn't a terrible shot. It wasn't a terrible drive. They just couldn't find the ball. Yeah. It was kind of like one of those collection areas that if you miss it left on three, a little bit, it just kind of rolls and funnels down into the rough over there. And it was so wet that it just embedded and, and vanished. So right. you hit the ball that high, you hit it that far you can probably dig that thing in there pretty deep. And uh, I, I don't think that that's going to be something he has to worry about this week. So I think we're all going to be on high alert and, and be very interested to see what he does on. I mean, 13 is the hole that everyone wants to talk about. It's, it's the most interesting hole on this course. I think, you know, masters have been won and lost with that. I mean, Phil Mickelson can attest to that. Um, so, I mean, he, he mentioned a little bit of what, what that might mean for him during this interview. So I'm, you know, I'm excited to watch it just like I am every single time the guy tees it up. But ultimately he's got to do the things, you know, I think everyone, and, and obviously so obsesses about the driving distance and, and what he does, but ultimately, and, and I think he said it, you know, in an ESPN article I read today, you know, he's got to do the things with his short game and on the greens that won him the U S open. I mean, that, he was like, I, I, you know, I thought it was just me being able to bully the course, but in retrospect, I look back and the things I didn't do at the masters was, you know, make putts. And, you know, I remember on, on the first day, it looked like he was going to run away. It just looked like it was destined. I think on, I think he started on the back nine. I think on 10, he just like stuck one to like three feet and just missed the putt. 
And like, those are the things you can't do if you're going to win the masters. So that's what he's also going to have to contend with is, you know, you can't just, you, you got to do all of the things right to win this tournament. Uh, with that said, let's, let's get into our interview with Dustin Johnson. Banks, you took a lot of this. I was, I oh, was in it. I was, we got DJ now. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. Bryson DeChambeau. <laughs> we'll, we'll get DJ next week. Bryson DeChambeau. I'm thinking about DJ. Think about DJ coming out of the break. Bryson DeChambeau. Banks, you took most of this uh, and we will talk about it. I jumped in. I jumped in at the end and, and got a question for him, but an awesome interview um, that you people will enjoy. So let's get into our interview with Bryson DeChambeau. We're back on the Exit 52 podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood, where we have eight-time PGA Tour champion, current number five golfer in the world, and reigning U.S. Open champion. I got to ask you, Bryson DeChambeau, do you ever get sick of hearing that on the first tee? <laughs> no, every time it happens, it's, uh, it's quite an honor. I'm pretty blessed to be able to have won that tournament and worked hard to do it, but uh, put myself in the right situation and uh, gave myself an opportunity to win and, and took advantage. Sure. I mean, it, everybody's been seeing on social media, whether it be the day after you won it, or even in the most recent week, you're having a lot of fun with that trophy. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. what, have, what have you had? What have you drinking out of it? Like, are you lifting with it? Like, what, what, do, you, what do you have going on with the trophy? I do anything and everything. I mean, it's, it's uh, my trophy for a year, so I might as well use it uh, with whatever way I can. Obviously, respectfully, as, mu as much respect as possible. But uh, for me, I just try and have, have fun with it, you know, working out with it in a gym or, or drinking chocolate milk out of it, drinking nice wine out of it, beer, whatever. Whatever it is, uh, we just have a good time with it. Sure. What was the uh, drink of choice uh, that night uh, at Wingfoot? It was it was a uh, Malbec um, mm. that I drank out of that thing. It was filled quite nicely. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, yeah. I did have some chocolate milks as well, but you know. <laughs> yeah, you got to mix it all in. Um, yeah. So so we kind of connected a little bit at Bay Hill, which was obviously an awesome week for you. Yeah. You thank you. Really really excel at these courses where the, the conditions are tough and the scoring is tough. Uh, yep. what, do you, what do you attribute to that per se? That's a great question. I, I tell you that when I was younger, um, there were numerous tournaments that were difficult as a junior golfer for, you know, my caliber back then. And my dad always instilled in me, he's like, never give up, never quit. You're never going to fail. Um, you're always learning from your failures. And so you might as well go through the mud and uh, figure out how to get yourself out of it. So anytime a tough situation arise and my back was up against the wall, I, I was able to push through uh, because of my dad pushing me in a sense, in a positive way to say, hey, no, you're not stopping. You're going to keep going. Even though you're eight over, you're going to fight to get back to, to, to seven over, to six over, to five over, and then all, you know, whatever it was, right? And so that was the main, main important thing that my dad instilled me at a young age. Sure. No, I, I can imagine that. Um, yeah. It was, it was a bit of a grind out there at Bay Hill. I kind of walked around there on Saturday and Sunday. A lot of wind, not an easy course in itself, but we obviously had some fun out there. I mean, Bay Hill, I mean, you kind of kind of lit the, the, the sports world on fire with, uh, with number six there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, definitely. talk to me a little bit about that. How fun was that? So it was, it was amazing, first off. I didn't expect the crowd's reaction to, to be like that, nor for me to react the way I did. Everything just kind of – happened freely and it was a, it was an amazing moment I think the, the game of golf and, and in my life especially um, very fortunate to have experienced that and given that to the world uh, positive light when everybody you know that we haven't seen fans on tv in a long time nor their reactions nor, you know um, and so to do something a little different and be able to take in a line that nobody has taken in the course of uh, or, or done it successfully in the course of that tournament is pretty cool 
Um, you know, there's been a lot of long drivers that have gone over it, but I knew from all the training and everything that I'd done that I could get it over. Now, the funny thing is, is I never actually cleared the water in any practice round this year or the year before. And a lot of that was due to the fact that it was into the wind when I played it. And so I just couldn't get it over. It was too, too long. Right. Um, didn't have the right ball speed or spin rate for that to get over the water. And finally on Saturday, Sunday, the wind turned just enough uh, for me to be able to hit a drive over the, over the lake. And, you know, when I hit it, I knew it was over the lake. Mm -hmm. I absolutely knew it. You know, if I just hit, hit it with good contact, I knew 330 carry was no problem. Um, and, and when I look back at the footage, it was 94 ball speed, which is 194 ball speed, which is plenty to fly that far with about eight miles an hour downwind. And when it happened, I just, you know, raised my hands up. I just said, let's go. You sure. know? No, I was right there. I got, got an awesome video of it. And I th the thing that, you know, this was really the first sporting event that I had personally been to since the whole pandemic had happened. Yeah, and yeah. Th it was really the first time I felt like there was a buzz because, you know, yeah. with the way that course is constructed, the, you know, the fourth hole, the tee kind of runs right, right in front of that six tee box. And yep. people saw your tee off there. They started to kind of accumulate there in anticipation for you getting to that hole, yeah. given all the discussion. So it was, it was just a lot of fun to be there in the crowd and, and, and see that in person. Um, sure. and I, I remember when you had won in Detroit in the summer, I, you know, you were hitting the ball longer and it was the talk of the golf world. It was kind of like, man, like, what are some, what are some courses? What are some infamous holes that he might take on and really challenge? Yeah. And I remember I tweeted out, I was like, Bay Hill, number six, like this is the yeah. one that's going to create a ton of buzz. And I think it's so perfect the way that the tour kind of opened up the fans mm -hmm. in that, like right at that time when you had that opportunity and the wind and the opportunity to go for it. Um, I thought it was so cool. Um, yeah. Appreciate that. Are there, are there any, are there any other holes on, on tour that you're, you've kind of been eyeballing and obviously this can stay close to the vest, but <laughs> yeah. I got burned by that last time when I told him uh, at TPC uh, Sawgrass I'd be hitting it in a nine fairway from 18 tee box. Were you <laughs> really going to do that? It made it out of bounds, yeah. I mean, it would have been an easier shot for sure. The driver, at least. I'd have had a driver wedge in. Um, I, I went to Sawgrass, and I, I've you know seen that hole on TV a million times, and I don't think people appreciate how intimidating that shot is until you stand on the tee box. And to take it left also looked bananas to me it looked crazy yeah. take that because it's it's a side lie that you're going to hit it into i presume for sure for sure it's going to be into the rough and a little bit of a side lie but you know all you have to do then is just carry the the front edge and you're on the green to yeah get it to, to the back flag or the front flag uh with no issues you know it's just a left and right shot you just have to get over the water whereas you know if you're hitting it from the fairway it's um, there's water all down the left hand side so you can't miss it left so i felt like you know it'd give me a better angle into the flags uh except you know the last day uh, but everywhere else for those first three days, it would have been nice. <laughs> sure. Any, any other holes on tour? I mean, everybody's going to be talking about 13 this next week. Yeah. I mean, 13 is definitely one that you can do, uh, out here at Augusta. And I think, you know, where it is right now, if I can hit a nice draw around there, um, I can get it down there pretty far. So we'll, we'll see this week how far I can get it down there, but hopefully <laughs> I can hit it into the 14 fairway and have a nice, nice, uh, shot into the green. Uh, that's definitely one of them. Number two. Out here is one that you can bomb it quite a ways down there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty of opportunities to hit it far out here. Sure. Um, so last year, it was kind of the talk going into the tournament. You had dominated West or uh, Wingfoot the way that you yeah. did. Um, you know, you had the awesome summer that you did. 
there was so much talk about what was going to happen with the length that you had at Augusta National, and then things didn't exactly go your way. Do, do yeah. you attribute that, you know, a little bit to the game plan or the execution, and how might you be tweaking that this week? And, again, this is yeah. something. I mean, last year it was just an execution thing. Uh, for me, I, I felt like the, the wet conditions kind of messed with me a little bit. Wasn't as fully prepared for wet conditions as I should have been and uh, wasn't hitting it as far. And then I had some weird head symptoms come about, but I was able to resolve that quite nicely. And, um, you know, it took a little bit of time. It took me literally five months to figure out what it was because I was still getting it. Weird symptoms over the course of five months. But I figured it out. And uh, just a little – weird things coming my way I guess that week was a bit of the issue and moving forward I, I think it's just a learning experience every time you fail or, or, or a game plan doesn't go to plan uh, or you don't execute it correctly it's always just an opportunity to look back and reflect and go okay how can I how can I improve this for for next year and so as I look at it I just didn't execute very well and, and I had some weird head, head symptoms that uh, are um, now not there and as time goes on as this week goes on I feel like there's just going to be amazing opportunities for me to play well um this week even better sure. than last year sure um i think everybody likes your chances as much as anyone's out here with especially bay hill coming off that win um yeah. a strong finish yeah. there at the players um if you were to win the masters um you know your diet is, is very much part of your your whole <laughs> i know where I this know, is going shift that you've made here your your commitment to Whatever you want to call it. Do you, do you have like a, by the way, do you have a term for this whole process at all? Like, do you, have you thrown a nickname on it or just? Uh, what part of it? I mean, I don't whole, know. Like, people process. call it speeding up. People call it chasing speed. Like, it'd be cool if you threw a nickname on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely say chasing speed. I mean, that's, that is 100% accurate. Uh, sure. Chasing speed under stability and just being able to hit it. But what, what would I say? It would be something along the lines of, um, Chasing speed and accuracy. I mean, that's just the easiest way to say it. You know, that's that's what I'm trying to accomplish. And uh, it's never been done before other than Happy Gilmore. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> that's one of the things I, I look at for inspiration is, is just, you know, first off, the long drive guys have, have broken the mold on what is possible with the human body. And, you know, getting a little inspiration from a movie, Happy Gilmore, what he could do. Uh, you know, but, but mainly those long drive guys and how far they could hit it. And then implementing, you know, the touch and, control that I have around the greens, uh, that combination could be, could be pretty powerful. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of where I got it from. So Kyle Berkshire is actually a Baltimore guy. This is actually a Baltimore more focused podcast. Yeah. You know, obviously he's the, the, was, is he the reigning champion? He, he yep. 2019. Yeah. yeah 2019. Is if he were to really make a commitment to the rest of his game and try to give it a go, like what are his chances to actually, you know, well, make Funny you say that he's he's trying to do that right now. Um, he's he's going through the mini tour levels first. He's not taking tour exemptions because he wants to test his game and see see where he's at first off and be able to look and see if he can he can make it and do it. Uh, but he is dedicating a lot of time and working hard to you know we we've uh, had a lot of interactions, making sure that uh, you know he's got the right plan of attack going forward because I think if he can come out here and and have this ball speed. I mean, the game is forever changed. I mean, forever changed. It's now a ball-striking, uh, powerful uh, hitter's game. Definitely. Um, now, I was kind of leading into this before, but if you were to win the Masters, like, 
what kind of meal are you looking about putting in there? Or, you know, that was where the beef thing was going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. What kind of meal would I, uh, it would definitely be a, a filet with, you know, either baked potato or mashed potatoes, broccoli, definitely a, a fudge brownie for dessert, but uh, I'll do a blue cheese wedge to start it off. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, a specialty chocolate milk drink to, to start <laughs> as well. <laughs> Something like that. That's phenomenal. Um, now, with everything that you've been doing, your entire process here, I'm sure you just get the same questions over and over every single week. Is there a question that you're just, you're just tired of hearing every single week? Uh, I would say the question that, that, that I don't like necessarily getting is, uh, you know, do one length clubs work for, for everybody? That's one of the ones it's like, there's a reason why I built those one length clubs initially. That, that's one of the ones that kind of just throws me off. Uh, it was built for everybody to use. And uh, the other aspect of it is if I look at the question, like, you know, how fast can you get? It's like, well, dude, I don't know. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> knows the speed, the speed boundaries of, of the human body, um, you know, getting, or, or, or uh, you know, why are your wedges so long? Um, it's just, just simple things like that. Just asking questions um, without a precursor of knowledge of really digging down and trying to figure out why uh, I've done what I've done. And, you know, I've answered it numerous times and it's, it just gets to be a little old, but that's yeah. okay. And I think people are probably, especially in the last year or so, are starting to ask questions that you were getting, you know, while you're still an amateur. So yeah. through these exactly. questions, five, six years old or whatnot. Um, yeah. So I guess the, the, the equal and opposite question of that would be like, what question do you wish somebody would ask? Uh, like what is something I wish, that, that I wish they would ask. I wish they would ask first off why I'm so dedicated to doing this and trying to figure out the game, or you know, why and how did you change your putting? Go from one of the worst putters on tour to one of the best putters on tour. Hmm. You know, those are some of the questions. Those are a couple questions that I think are interesting to me that not many people know. Sure. So, how do you, <laughs> you want the answer? answer? <laughs> Do you have like so, a little quick question there where I like get yeah. a good question by making you give me the Yeah, good exactly. <laughs> I would say for the most part, uh, the dedication aspect comes from and the wanting to figure it all out is, is so that I don't have to have this pressure on myself of going, there's an unknown variable out there that could make this ball fly in a weird direction or I can hit a putt and it can go two or three different ways because I don't know what's going on. Or I can hit a drive and the ball flies off into Narnia because of some unknown reason. Uh, I really want to try and understand every variable out so that I can be as focused as possible. It's, re it's really a mentality. It's, it's a mindset that allows me to be comfortable on the golf course is just knowing all these different variables that allow me to be positive and, and dominant on the golf course. That's the, the first question. Second question you know, how I got my putting so good is obviously arm lock helped quite a bit, but doing a lot of speed training drills with a uh, device that allows me to know how fast the ball is coming off the face. So I'll do like a 40 foot or 30 foot or 20 foot or 10 foot or five footer. And I'll, I'll make sure that my length of stroke is correlating to the speed that I'm producing. So I get this, I, I'm training the mechanics that translate into feel. So most people don't know that I'm a pretty 
you know, big, I guess you could say field player, um, you know, proprioception or field player. I, I, I love, you know, in order to hit a, hit a really unique shot that curves around a tree and lands on the green, you have to have a good sense of touch uh, no matter what, or hitting a 400 yard drive or 350 yard drive, whatever it is, you still have to have good control of the face. So yeah. no matter what, it's not mechanics that are doing it. I mean, that's the, the foundation of it, but it's the, really the feel that allows me to be comfortable to swing that way. Sure. No, and I, I would imagine that in order to, and obviously you're a very data oriented person, very much, you know, the more times you hit the same shots over and over and replicate yeah. that feel over and over, you have more of an expectation as to what is going to happen for those given shots. So that makes complete sense. All right, so I appreciate your time here. Uh, I want to make sure that you're uh, getting your preparation in here. Uh, you're down in Augusta, you. but um, we wish you best of luck this week. And uh, appreciate that. Do you have any questions? Uh, I want to jump in with one real quick, Bryson, as right. I as I finish off here. You talked about mindset um, and how yeah. much that's a big part of your game. How do you? How did you sort of establish? You you seem like a growth mindset guy. Like you don't. You, you grow no matter what everybody else is saying. Yeah. How do you sort of look at that? And even with all the talk that goes on around you and, yeah. and, and all that stuff and say, look, I know my process, I'm sticking with this and, and be damned yeah. with everyone else. <laughs> you know, it, it, that's a great question, Tyler. I think one of the most important things is you look at anybody that's successful in life. And I'm not saying that I'm super successful, the most successful person at all. Uh, but what I will say is that anybody that's willing to fail is usually successful and learn from their failures is usually successful successful so the most um impressive people that i've met in my entire life are people that have failed quickly a lot but have learned the quickest as well and so when people are saying things or doing things or, or, or whatever they're doing it's not affecting me because all i look at is did i accomplish what i wanted to, to accomplish if i didn't okay how can i learn from that how can i figure it out and even if i did accomplish something like winning the u.s open I'm still thinking about, okay, where did I fail on the golf course? Where did, were, were certain shots that I should have hit right? You know, they didn't go correctly. How can I fix those? How can I help those be a little less deviant? And so I'm always learning from failures, from, from these miniature failures that allow me to have a better game plan going forward, to have a better path of action, as some people would say. And, you know, that's what allows me to always stay focused on the future, the present times and the future. And never look into the past and go, man, I did this before. I don't know if I can, you know, whatever. And so that is a mindset. That is something that allows me, that, that is my, um, uh, you know, mental game per se, if people want to say that. Uh, so no matter what I'm doing, I'm always trying to learn and grow. And if I, the more I can learn and grow, the more I can fail, the more I can and grow from that failure, the better off I personally think I'll be as a human being. So. That's awesome. That makes sense. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, again, thank you for your time, man. I, I, we wish you the best of luck this week. Uh, we could, we could pick your brain all day. All <laughs> night. So you're welcome on this podcast anytime, clearly. I appreciate um, that. Thank you. But, but yeah, enjoy yourself here in Augusta this week and, and best of luck. Thanks guys. Thanks Bryson. Good luck, man. It. Thank you all. Yeah, Back on uh, the X52 podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood. I almost just said back on the Exit Jimmy Seafood podcast. That's tough scene right now. <laughs> uh, thanks for Bryson DeChambeau for, for jumping on the pod. What an interesting dude. Um, and, you know, Banks, you sort of had the, the majority of that with him. I thought it was interesting um, to just hear how he approaches process and in general. That is my most, that's the most fascinating part of him to me. 
um, is how he looks at, at growth and, and not really caring what anybody thinks about what he's going to do to just play golf. He's like, I see a path to be a great golfer and I'm going to do it. I don't care if no one's ever done it before, but what were your sort of takeaways from, from talking with him for, for the majority of that? It, pretty much what you just said. He's, he's super passionate and super excited about the ways that he's thinking outside the box and not just, it's not just about having the notion of thinking outside the box and, you know, bucking the trend and, and doing whatever it's, it's about what types of things he can do to make that a possibility and how he can push those boundaries. And I thought that he gave a really great answer towards the end there about him, you know, the, the most successful people he knows are people who fail and they fail quickly and they learn quickly from those mistakes. And, you know, we've seen somewhat of a trial and error process as he's gone through this year and a half, two year process of, um, chasing speed. I mean, we, we, we asked him what we want to call that. I mean, <laughs> and he said, it's just, it's just chasing speed. So, um, awesome interview. Like I, I was lucky enough to make a connection with him down at Bay Hill. Um, you know, and he was in a great mood having won a great, uh, great golf tournament down there. And, um, I think that there's some similarities with Bay Hill and this course and, um, you know, maybe his form hasn't been as great as he wants it to be the last few tournaments he's played in. But um, I think everyone's kind of dialed in on this tournament and he's going to be right there in the mix. Josh, when you look at Bryson DeChambeau as a fellow pro athlete, what, do, what is that? Like, there has to be something you sort of see and you're like, that guy does things like a little bit differently than maybe the rest of us are doing in terms of how we get to like an elite level. So I compare him to like a Trevor Bauer kind of guy, I think. Like, I think it's a fair comparison. Like, you know, they're super, super, you know, I think kind of ahead of the game, They're the, the game in the specific sports. I mean, what Trevor's been able to do kind of, you know, with the spin rate on the fastball, what Bryson's been able to do, like, you know, with the distance control, but like hitting the ball so far and like learning, really re, reinventing these, you know, crafts of like, you know, golf and baseball pitching as, as we kind of see it. So, I mean, I think Bryson's, at first, I wasn't a huge fan of him because of his hat, to be honest. I <laughs> I I'm, with, I'm with you. That, that hat stinks. I that hat's tough. The hat is <laughs> tough. But, um, you know, I feel like Bryson's, like, everybody at first was kind of, like, off Bryson. Like, that's how I kind of felt. Where I'm from, and everybody's, eh, I don't know about Bryson yet. And then, you know, I think we're seeing fans and everybody kind of get behind him. You know, everybody likes – everybody digs the long ball. Everybody wants to, you know, all that. But – um, I, I, I think Bryson's a beast, dude. I think he's a unit. I mean, he's, a, he's so much stronger than everybody and it's crazy to watch him golf. I've, I think it's interesting listening to him. He just seems like a, you know, you know, made fun of the hat, but like, that's him. He's just right, him. 100%. And he like, is, he is you, super cool. Yeah. Like you respect how genuine that is. And like, you respect someone that is just lives within their own skin. Like he doesn't just does not care. Look, I don't need to look cool. Like I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to try right. to win golf tournaments. That hat means something to him. Like, I mean, like he, he loves wearing that hat. He's, I think he wore it because I don't, I don't know who, what, what the deal is, but he has a reason behind it and he's passionate about it. And he's super, super passionate about golf, which is, which is crazy. He's changing the game and he's, he's obviously the, the hot ticket in town. That's definitely the, the biggest takeaway I had because I was, when he first came on tour, he was the, the hot thing coming out of the college game from SMU and he had the single length clubs and everybody was talking about that. And he's always had this one new thing. I mean, he tried the side saddle putt at one time. Yeah. Remember that? I mean, that was nuts. So he's always tinkering with something. 
And I remember I wasn't too hot on him at first. And, you know, I'm, I probably have some tweets in my history that aren't so great. <laughs> and then I, I, I booked this trip to go to Bay Hill and he kind of didn't take the line that he said he was going to on Thursday and Friday. The wind wasn't in the right condition and, you know, whatever. Um, and I remember like, I, I recorded a video of me on the way to the airport. Like I'm going to go down to Bay Hill and make this guy try to hit it over the water. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to heckle him and I'm going to give him a hard time. And, and I went down there and, and he got, he had the wind the way he wanted it. And he went out and he blasted it. And obviously like it was viral as hell. He, he, you know, had a ton of fun with it doing the whole, you know, victory point was fucking electric. Um, I can't even describe how fun it was in person to have everybody just like, I mean, the, that, that like murmur as he's walking to the tee box, everybody knows what's about to happen. Like that was kind of a feeling that, you know, with this pandemic, like I hadn't felt in a while about anything like, Oh man, this is, this is something to watch. Like we got a, you know, front row seat to something real cool here. And so seeing him do that and then he played the rest of the round and then just seeing him at, at, at the range, I was just kind of, this was a solo trip for me. So I, I had nowhere to be. I had no one to hang out with. Like I was just kind of having fun watching guys hit on the range, having some beers after the, you know, people had wrapped up their round and he was just hammering balls on the range over and over and over. And I've, I've seen him on golf channel at a bunch of tournaments do this. You know, he had the meltdown at the British open the one time that I think was highly publicized he's just out there hammering balls. It, it couldn't really get a feel for what his objective was when he was just swinging away after ball after ball. But I mean, he would finish a pile of balls and then you'd think that he must be wrapping up. And then his, his, uh, his guy, Connor Olson, his manager just comes walking over with another, you know, sack of balls and drops him at his feet and they just go hammering away <laughs> two two and a half hours after walking 18 holes and having a great day with it. And so like there was maybe half a dozen of us hanging out at the range after the round, everything is pretty much lights out except for this one light fixture showing him just hitting tee shots. And so yeah. he, he's just legitimately out there grinding and just getting rep after rep. Cause he wants to get the feel on all these shots over and over and over. And then when he was done, he came over and, and spent a little time with every single person who had hung around long enough. And that's when I kind of made a little connection with him and, um, he just, I just, I mean, I just asked him like, how cool was that today to hit that ball over that water with the whole crowd there. And he gave the most like genuinely excited, like he was so freaking fired up that he, he went and, and did that. Like he was like a little kid who just like hit, hit a grand slam or something. Like he was, it was right. He did it and, and, and to do it in front of fans and stuff again, had to be so like awesome just because it's been so long. Right. So yeah. for, from a golf perspective, from a fan perspective, like seeing him do that as a spectator was sweet. Then like talking to him and kind of getting to know him a little bit, just in that, like two or three minutes I chatted with him. Like he just, he just really wants to win. Like he just really loves golf. He really loves everything that goes into it, the grind, all those things. I know that's all super cliche and I, you know, the, the public in general has a pretty, you know, pretty harsh perception of him a lot of times. And, you know, I'm not saying that he hasn't said some things that um, kind of warrants that, but from what I can tell from just interactions with him, awesome dude, just really like is just really into what he's doing. And I think you got to appreciate that. Yeah. I, until the Jalen Suggs shot, that might've been the most electric um, crowd related sporting event of the last 16 months. It was, it was incredible to watch. 
watch him say, do that. And, and for that to happen at a golf tournament, like that's how you can just kind of see, like he's just changing like the atmosphere, like in golf, like I, it's not like tiger ish, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like how yeah. tiger would get, the fans would just like obsessed with tiger, like in the mm-hmm. tiger roars, it's like the same kind of thing. Like you just don't see that with a lot of guys, like, you know, JT or speed hits a shot and people, you know, clapping or cheering for him. But that was just different. Like it's an explosion of like excitement and it's, it's cool for golf. For sure. There's only so many golf things that truly move the needle and he is becoming someone that sort of truly no moves doubt. the needle. No Where tiger was that Phil, I think in his heyday was also that. And if he made a run this week, would obviously be that Spieth gets there at times. But as you said, you know, your Dustin's and your Rory's and your Ricky's and your Xander's and those guys are amazing players, but they just kind of do their thing and it's awesome and it's great to watch. He's doing some things that are making people kind of rise out of their seat before it even happens as opposed to sort of reacting where it happens. Yeah, the, having been at Bay Hill and then going to the players the next week where there was more crowd, they had, you know, higher capacity percentage or whatever. You, you just knew where Bryson was on the course the entire time based on just the entire flow of the galleries and, and the sounds and all that good stuff. And, and, you know, the crowds following him were, were rambunctious. They were out there having a good time, you know, nothing terribly disrespectful or anything, but fans are having a good time. Like he was the attraction at the players. He, you know, he came up a little bit short there, but he was in the mix and he was, you know, he was doing what he does. He, he took, an insane line at 16 that I didn't think was a line that anybody could consider at Sawgrass is insane. He's just, just a completely different hole for him. And speaking of the players, the winner of the players, Justin Thomas is the next guy we got to get to, you know, one of the more naturally talented guys on tour already has an already, excuse me, has a major under his belt and in great form was incredible at the TPC. Um, him and him and honestly and, and and Westwood we have on this list individualized as well. Maybe are in the two of the guys are in the best form on tour right now with in terms of recent results. I, I think JT's got a really good chance to win and he's got a really good chance to win every week. That's my pick. That's my pick. I'm saying it. Oh, right. you're claiming him. You're claiming him before we get to the picks. I want JT. I'm taking Wow. JT. Wow. JT was my pick in the fall, and I I JT. he may have been my pick <laughs> for this week too. Well, he just, well, he, he is in the same bucket as DJ for me where, okay, he got that first one a couple of years ago. He broke through. He, but he's too talented not to just get a jacket or get this next major before too long. Like he, he, if he's not winning a major here this week, he's going to win one this year. 100%. JT, JT is due, man. Like, he came out like firing like, like to win that player's championship. And he wants, he, he wants to win at Augusta so bad. Like, I mean, all of them do. Everybody does, but like, he he needs that, and I think he's I think he's the best player on tour when when he's putting it and when he's chipping the way he is and when he drives the ball well. I mean, he is just elite, elite, elite. Yeah, no, I I think that the the two names that I'm really looking at that are just top notch, top level guys are JT and DJ, um, and JT. You know, this this is lauded as a second shot golf course by, you know, pretty much everyone. And I don't know that there's, there's a better second shot golfer. I have another player in mind that might be kind of nipping at his heels a little bit when it comes to the irons, but Justin Thomas, it's hard to imagine him not getting a green jack and probably multiple before he's done. Um, so it's, it's kind of a matter of time and, and he kind of, he kind of backdoored his way a little bit into the picture there as Taylor kind of read off the leaderboard last year. Um, he just couldn't get it going early enough, 
but he, I mean, when he is dialed in with the irons, it's, it's really tough to beat him. And I think that he's, I don't know that he gets as much credit for his ability to, to, to be imaginative and artistic around the greens as much as, as some other players, because the rest of his game is so good that people just don't really think about it. He hit a shot at the CJ cup at what is it? Shadow Creek. Um, maybe, you know, in, in, in the fall where he had maybe 90 yards where he had to punch it, but check it. And like, he just hit a shot that just made no sense to me. Like yeah, I think it's crazy how he hits these like soft, like full swings at like 45 yards, like, 40 like 40 50 yards like he's taking full like swings and, he, and it's he, like high and it just doo-doo, it he goes at off. it like like speed kind of does it too but like jt is so I, I think consistent with the way he wants to hit given golf shots and he always just hits it exactly how he wants to like exactly. he can he can hit the low low uh low kind of pitch that kind of bounces twice and just stops on a dime like he's just He's stupid talented with that type of stuff. So I think his game is a lot more complete than maybe people give him credit for. And I think that that type of ability to kind of hit those crisp little chips around Augusta is a big asset here. Yeah. I just think, you know, he's, he's got every tool in the toolbox that he needs to win this tournament. And it's just a question of when he puts it together and he's kind of just progressively just looking up his results. He just progressively gotten better until the T4 last year. And this may be where he just wins here and then contends here every single year. And is one of those guys, uh, young guns. We have down here as a topic. I'm going to read the young people. I think qualifies young guns in the top 25 of the world golf rankings. You guys can tell me if I'm missing anybody. Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, Matt Fitzpatrick, Sun JM, Scotty Scheffler, Matthew Wolf are in the top 25 and feel like guys that are 26 and under, um, that can maybe make some waves here of all of those guys. Who do you like the most? Me personally, this week I'm gonna take. I like I like Scotty Scheffler. I think he's been striking the ball. I mean, ball striking wise, he's been really really good the last couple of weeks. He can make tons of birdies with the way he hits with the way he hits his irons and defends. Um, <clears throat> I, I I said if JT if I'm not picking JT, I would pick Scotty this week. Is kind of an underdog long shot guy. Um, but I mean, he played really well at the at the match play event uh, with Billy Horschel coming down to it. I think he made a bad swing on a par five and. Other than that, man, I mean, he's he can he can make some birdies and pour in birdies, and uh, I, I like Scotty to to be in contention this weekend. I think this is going to be the first instance where we we disagree a little bit. I think Scotty Scheffler is is plenty talented. He's going to win a lot on PGA Tour. I think he made a mistake playing this past week at the, at the Texas Open after having played as many rounds as he did at the match play. That final match that you mentioned against Horschel, I mean. I, I don't fault the guy one bit, but both those guys were out of gas at the yeah. end of that. I mean, that was just, just an absolute, just a horrific golf match to, to both the watch. And just, <laughs> it was just, it was, it was bad golf. I mean, he was getting pretty loose uh, with, with a couple of double crosses. And um, so uh, it probably wasn't in his best interest to go play Texas, especially with that field where he's, he was good enough to get by and make the cut and end up playing four rounds. And he finished T 54 and, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he's able to kind of recuperate and be at his best. And uh, who, I mean, everything that you said is valid for what he's, you know, his capabilities. I just don't know that that's, you know, it's, you know, the, it's the masters. You can get up for the masters, I'm sure, but we'll see if he can kind of hold off 
Um, the easy pick in, in the group that that Taylor mentioned is the guy that I was referencing when I was talking about JT. I think Colin Morikawa's iron play is maybe the best. It might it might be the best in the game. It really might be. Uh, there's a lot of people that are saying that we haven't seen somebody hit their irons the way that that he does since Tiger Woods, really. Um, and when he was, I believe, when he was a senior, he um, he did some sort of testing where they tested his six iron and his dispersion, like his variance in terms of where he was hitting the golf ball. And his dispersion was that of an average PGA tour player with their pitching wedge or their nine iron or something like that. Like he's that good with the, with the mid to long iron. Um, so same thing with, with what we said about JT second shot golf course. Um, the one thing that concerns me with Morikawa is that he is, he's one of the worser putters of the golf ball on tour. He can run really hot and cold with the putter. He found it at concession. He did a little bit of a, a, a grip change on the putter. He went to a, he went to the claw and I, I, I don't understand how anybody does the claw. I, I don't, that stuff is beyond me, but it works for, for a lot of guys. He, it worked for him that week. It didn't really carry forward for him, but um, you know, when it comes to putting a lot of times it can be really hot and cold for any, any given person in any given week. And so if he can get a, get the putter going, just average, you know, he's, he's going to have a chance. Yeah. I, I, he, he is the guy that, you know, of, of the non sort of established, I guess he's, I mean, one major, so he's established, but that maybe has like the top, top end talent to like contend with a DJ at his best or he's or number JT. four in the world. Yeah. I think, I think the one guy that is kind of <laughs> coming under the radar here in that group is Sunjay. I mean, T2 on his debut in, in, in November, he hasn't been awesome to start the season. He hasn't been bad. He hasn't been awesome. Um, but you show up at the masters and you go T2 in your first appearance and you play the way he played on Sunday, did not look phased at all by anything that was going on. Just got straight up outplayed. I mean, I think he's got to be taken seriously in sort of the periphery of the contenders coming into the week. Do you guys remember that pitch he hit on 15 from like way back at the pond on Sunday? Yeah. One of the yeah, more stupid really shots I've ever seen. Like he just clipped it so perfect. And that pin is kind of at the top of the hill and everything past it is going down into the, into the water there. Just a stupid yeah. shot. But um, yeah, he's a guy who doesn't not seem. Sure he's yeah. He's, he's a guy who seems to not be able to put all the phases of his game together at a given point in time. He just, he does a lot of great things and you can see him. I mean, he, his driving accuracy is, is really top notch and um I mean, he, he, he's capable of, of putting it all together in any given, any given week. And I don't even know that he necessarily had all, all those pieces when he finished for second, you know, last year, but um, you know, he's, he's a talented guy. We haven't seen it so much, like you said, in recent, you know, recent form, but um, he's some, someone to keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's get into sleepers and picks. Cause I'm going to talk, we're going to talk about the two guys that the two, can they break through guys? I think in this segment at some point, your guys sleepers, you already sort of touched on it, Josh. You've got Scheffler as your kind of outside guy. You're sticking with him. I'm taking Scotty. I'll take Scotty as the outside guy. Thanks. Um, as you look at your gambling board, I'm sure. Here. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't really <laughs> settled on, on one per se. Um, there's some guys that I've kind throw, of throw a couple out there to the people. Um, we haven't really touched on Xander Shoffley at all. He, you know, he's, people are starting to talk about his, uh, a little bit of an inability to close. If Tony Finau closed out uh, the Genesis, then he would be the next guy up to be the, other than Spieth now, other than, you know, 
he'd be the guy like, why can't he close tournaments? You know, he'd be that guy right now. But um, this this course should fit his game. He finished second behind Tiger in that group with Kepka and DJ in 2019. Um, so he's 25 to one here. I mean, I can't believe that Morikawa is 30 to one behind Shoffley. So I think that that's some, some good action there. Um, another name that's, I think he's a tick behind Morikawa, but he, uh, he can strike it real well is Victor Hovland. He's another guy who like, like Morikawa just can't seem to putt it. Um, Cam Smith is another guy at 33 to one awesome form at Augusta. Um, so those are just some names that I'm kind of looking at. I don't think anybody's talking about Webb Simpson. You know, his, his history here is, hasn't really gotten, you know, close in contention, but he's been on that periphery of contention in a lot of years and he seems to be getting better and better around here. So um, he's kind of somebody that nobody at all is talking about. So. Yeah. I, I, I don't have, you, you've got all the odds in front of me. I think a guy like Patrick Cantlay, you know, is, is, is a potential contender here. He's just is a fly under the radar guy because there's just nothing, you know, flashy about him, but you know, is, is steely and is a guy that has shown that he can win. Um, I, you know, Xander is Xander's my guy. I love Xander. Him and Finau are, are two of the most talented guys on tour, but at this point they can't finish. And if, if you haven't shown you can get it done on the PGA tour yet, you know, or at least for a while, you know, can you do it on the Sunday at the masters? Both those guys were awesome in 2019 down the stretch, just got outplayed by Tiger had, and, you know, had some slip ups, but Xander was great in that tournament. Um, but I, I like a guy like Cantley. I think he's sort of, sort of in the Webb Simpson category of guys that, you know, sit in the top 20 of the world rankings. No one really talks about them. And then you're on Saturday and it's like, oh, there's Patrick Cantley. He's right yeah. there and has a chance to win. He's made some ridiculous Sunday charges that came up just short. But um, yeah, when he gets going, he's got the game to do anything. Um, as I was just continuing to scroll my board here, there's a name way down the board that, you know, he's not going to win the Masters, but in terms of like a top 10 or something like that, I think I like Robert McIntyre from Scotland a little bit. Um, he actually has a top 10 and a major under his belt. This is his first masters. If you're looking to do a top debutante, I think that, you know, Bob Mack is, is somebody to take a look at. He's 175 to one to win. So if you feel like sprinkling that, you know, that's something that, you know, maybe you kind of throw some money on that and hope he's in the, the final pairing on Sunday and puts you in a position to, hedge a little bit and kind of play some other guys and, and walk away with some cash there. Um, so I, yeah, I'd probably take, take Robert McIntyre 20 to one. I, or not 20 to one top 20. Um, just kind of scrolling here to see what that. What about Max is. Homa? No, but we haven't talked about Max Homa. Max, I was about to bring him up. He about was right there up. between yeah. the two. And I think, um, I think that's a great name to, to consider as well. He is playing really well right now. Really well. Ever since his win out there at where were they at? That was Genesis. Riviera. Riviera. Riviera, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely capable. Um, and, I mean, God, that would – people would love that. <laughs> oh, my God. He Max would Homa, be – Everybody loves Max. Yeah, he would be, become one of the more beloved. Not that he only is. I think he's more of a fan favorite among the really hardcore golf fan, but I think you swing into – you have people that really only watch this tournament in terms of their golf watching the entire year, and he would be – and him and Butler Cabin would be an absolute scene. I mean, that would just be. I like, you know, I'm, a, I'm a huge Max Homa fan. I love I him. think everybody is. It's gotten to know him at all. So um, a, a name that's like a veteran that I'd maybe throw out there just because he's had some really great history over the course of his career here. Hasn't been able to get a win, but um, 
Justin Rose is 90 to one. He, you know, he really isn't playing all that well lately, but um, you know, he was number one in the world, maybe only three years ago, he got up to number one. He made an equipment change to, uh, I think Honma Hanma and those clubs. I mean, I think that wrecked his game for a bit, but um, he's back with whatever he was playing before. And um, he hasn't been able to necessarily find it, but again, this is a course where if you kind of know where you can miss and you can manage, you know, if you have a good idea of what your game looks like and you can kind of manage your way around the course, you know, he's, he's potentially a guy who could, who could surprise and get into the mix. I mean, he, he lost the playoff to Sergio four years ago when it probably should have been his tournament. So, um, and you know, he's a major winner and he's, he's accomplished a lot in this game. So Justin Rose, maybe not getting as much respect as he should at 90 to one. Yeah. It's not a, that's not a bad call right there. And, and just, I mean, he's a guy that's obviously a top play player. So if you can find it for a week, it's you think about like Sergio is like the same way, you know, he can, if he can find it for four rounds, he can win this tournament. He was pesky uh, at the match play. Yeah. And he was, pe- he was, he was involved a little bit at the TPC up until he kind of fell off. I mean, he, he showed what he could do in the, in the first round there. Uh, official picks, Josh, you kind of spoiled yours already, but I'll let you, uh, I'll let you give your Justin Thomas spiel here. All right. I'm going, <clears throat> I'm going with the 502 kid, the Louisville kid, where I'm from, we're going with Justin Thomas. I say, and I say the winner is, I'm going to say 13 under. Okay. Uh, 13 under. I, uh, I am going to roll with Spieth. I, I'm just going to go <laughs> over it, man. I, I, um, I bought the ticket at 50 to one when he was Ooh. down bad and he turned it around and I'm, I'm sitting on that ticket. So, um, you know, he's down to 11 to one at this point, And I love what I saw from him last week. I, you could say this about any given tournament, whether he's played terribly, whether he's choked away the masters, whether he's won the masters, that guy just in, with a microphone in front of him, he just, he just wins you over, you know, he's just, everybody says it and everybody applauds him for it. And, you know, I'm sure some people are probably sick of hearing it, but he is just so freaking impressive as a human. (laughs) Um, And the way that he's talking about how like, yeah, I've gotten a lot of my game back and I have a lot of confidence. I don't really know that I'm that close to being where I want to be at all. Like that. I I think he's being very honest about that. And so um, it'll be interesting to see if he's, if this was, you know, just the first step in a continued ascend back to what he was at the peak of his game. And um, it's, you know, this is, this is his, this is his domain here. This is where he, he thrives. So um, I think a lot of people, including myself said, uh, you know, if I'm making like daily fantasy teams or if I'm, you know, putting together a fantasy, you know, whatever, you know, I'm not going to not put Jordan Spieth on my team at Augusta national, you're just not going to do it. And, um, he, he spent the last two years kind of ruining that goodwill for a lot of people, but, uh, I think he's back in a big way and I think he's going to make some noise. I think those are two tremendous picks. I thought about taking JT. I am going to take, you talked about it a sense. I'm going to say that Colin Morikawa sort of stakes his claim as the best young player in the game this week and wins this tournament. I think he finds the ability to putt for four days, which I mean, you might know in round one, if the putter's not working, if it's, if it's going to be over for him, uh, but he just, I mean, I think when he's on, it's, it's, as, it's as good as it gets maybe behind DJ. And as a, young, as a young player, he's now got some rounds under his belt at the Masters. It wasn't unbelievable when he was back here the last time, but he got through it. I think more, I want to pick my guy Xander, but I, I can't do it. I can't do it. He hasn't shown me enough. I'm taking more Kawa. Guy had absolute balls of steel 
uh, when he won the PGA. So he's not going to be afraid um, and he's going to win this thing. I think this has a potential on the whole to be a great tournament. There's just so many guys playing well and there's just so much talent. I mean, it is wild. How many guys I think we've said like, Oh, that guy, that guy's great. That guy. And there's crazy. Great. It's crazy. We've left names off too. I mean, we didn't even really touch on Rory. It's like, I mean, yeah. yeah. Gotta, I mean, there's just so many guys golf's in such a good spot and it's exciting. I, I mean, I'm, I'm literally obsessed with golf. So <laughs> I just think it's so cool to see how good these guys are getting. And these young guys are just getting better and better and better. So it's awesome. Yeah. And we, I'm, I'm going to make sure I throw in my FOMO Tony Finau pick. He's 33 to one. So there's <laughs> no way in hell I'm going to miss the boat on him at a major championship that he's almost won in his own right. So uh, Tony Finau, keep your ankles in check, my man, uh, go out and get it. Let's go, Tony. He would be a tremendous guy to win to. I think that would be a, a fan favorite. It'd win. be such a cool place to break through. Yeah. And it would be him, him or Xander. I think that would be a, a moment. <laughs> I'm just going to we'll continue take, to throw Xander. We'll Xander, we'll Xander. Take Tony. We'll all take Tony too. Yeah. We're taking, we're all taking Tony. Tony's the team pick. Tony's the pick of the pot right yeah. here. Uh, we want Tony to get it done. Uh, guys, that was fun. Josh, thanks for jumping on with us, man. Yeah, no doubt, guys. Appreciate we could have gone for hours and hours. Uh, make sure everyone reads Banks' stuff all week long, barstoolsports.com. He's gonna, he's pumping out blogs. I'm going to be blogging um, a so, lot. So make sure he goes. <laughs> all kinds of blogs, a mega preview. I'm sure he'll get more into the gambling stuff if that's if that's where you're back. So make sure to check that out. Um, and uh, we'll be back for a normal episode of the X52 podcast this week where we'll talk about the Orioles, who uh, I don't know what's happening now, but are the best team in baseball right now, three and So go birds. Gonna, go birds, Josh. Thanks so much. Banks. See you in a couple of days on the, on the pod and uh, uh, enjoy Augusta national, everybody. That's the, that's the X 52 podcast presented by Jimmy seafood.